You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What is going on, everybody? John and Pemba here with Andrew Cooper. This is the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast, episode 12. Coop, we are closing in on the start of the fantasy football season, week one. About four weeks away, we're kicking in to redraft leagues already right now. Best ball is still, still pretty heavy involvement for me with best ball. I don't know about you, but it's definitely redraft season. Dynasty drafts are pretty much behind us at this point. We're looking forward uh, to the upcoming year. Week one is right around the corner. How, how prepared are you? How ready are you uh, to start getting these redrafts underway? Oh, man. I mean, redraft is... With the shift to best ball recently, redraft leagues just seem so daunting, don't they? It's like with the waivers and the free agent auction budget, like best ball really is a simpler life, isn't it? It's a simple, it, right. It's a simpler life because you don't have to worry about any of the in-season management. If you draft a guy and he gets hurt, nothing you can do about it. But if you're in a redraft and you draft a guy and he ends up getting hurt, now there's potential trades. You mentioned there's waiver wires, there's next man up, there's roster strategy there's different draft strategies surrounding redraft compared to best ball compared to dynasty and how you go about building out your lineups building up the depth you just released an article on fantasy Slam about building a better bench which i think is humongous when it comes to strategy points in redraft leagues because unlike in best ball and we can just jump into it the differences here Unlike in best ball and in redraft, in best ball, you have to draft depth. You you have to draft that second tight end, that third tight end, that second quarterback, whatever third, because you there's no moves to be made. If those guys get hurt, there's a zero now on your roster for the rest of the season. You don't have to do that in, in redraft. You can draft singularly at one position, load up at other positions, and then play the waiver, play the trade market. Uh, and that's, that is, the, the for me, at least the, the biggest easy difference between the two formats. Yeah, I mean, so I actually, like you just said, I just talked about this in the article where um, I talk about reserves versus stashes, right? So in my mind, I take the whole bench. And, and a lot of people, this is the mistake a lot of people make, is no matter what format they're playing, they just say, this is my bench. These are my bench guys. They're just guys I like, and I just draft whoever. But to me, I actually categorize them into subcategories. And when you get the stashes, I have subcategories of stashes too. And I know you operate the same way, John. So for me, a reserve is a guy that I'm taking that I, I know needs to slot into my roster at some point. So in best ball, you need to take a lot of reserves because guys are going to have down weeks. You need people to slot in, right? In redraft leagues, they, your reserves are probably the guys you plan to play at flex, the guys that you're going to need for bye weeks So um, like, John, give give us an example of a or reserve running back where say you take two running backs, now you're you're not necessarily carrying as much but upside. You just need to get a third running back that you can use. So like who would be a reserve? Yeah, somebody that I've been targeting often, and we've talked about this a few times now, guys like Melvin Gordon, Kenyon Drake, Gus Edwards, players like that that are going in around eight through 10 that they're more likely your rb3 rb4 rb5 being that death piece if you if you go rb heavy they're there to fill in on flex weeks fill in on bye weeks they're not considered an every week starter potentially for you those are guys that i've been targeting sort of as your your depth your bench running backs 
Right. And so you take those guys as reserves because, and I call them that because you're going to need them. They're basically the first man up. They're the first line of defense. Right. Then after you, after that category, say you have a six man bench, say you have three reserves, a couple running backs, uh, wide receiver, an extra wide receiver or two. After that, you have stashes. So for me, stashes are guys that for whatever, one reason or another, you can't trust them in your lineup. Right. So you can't just take them and put them in. So you said, uh, Kenyon Drake, perfect example because he's probably going to be splitting work. He's going to be catching passes. Another, the perfect example of a stash would be somebody like Chuba Hubbard, who you're putting him on your bench, but you can't start him week one. If your guy gets hurt, say you draft on the September 2nd and your guy gets hurt before the season actually starts, you can't put Chuba Hubbard in the lineup unless the guy that got hurt was Christian McCaffrey. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so. that's a stash. And for me, there's two kinds of stashes. There's the lottery ticket stash, which is what handcuffs are like Chuba Hubbard. So Alexander Madison, exactly. Uh, Trey Lance is, I would consider Trey, actually, let's say, let's go with Justin Fields. I would consider Justin Fields to be one because they've told us Andy Dalton is starting. We believe that Justin Fields will start at some point, but we don't know when. So it's like you buy that lottery ticket, but you got to wait for the numbers. You know what I mean? So you buy, but you have to wait for Wednesday for the numbers to come in. And in this case, the numbers might come in. Or you don't even know when they're reading the numbers, like for instance, like with the quarterbacks. So that to me is a lottery ticket. Another another example of a lottery ticket would be Michael Thomas. You're drafting him. Hopefully, if you do, you have an IR spot, which makes that a little more uh, palpable. But you have no idea when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back, or what it's going to be like when he comes back, right? So uh, to me, that's the lottery ticket. The flip side is the scratch ticket. Which to me, that's an uncertain situation where you're drafting someone and week one, you're going to get the answers. Week one or two, you're going to find out the answer you're looking for. Excuse me. We always give an example of um, the yin-yang tight end, which we talk about. A lot of those yang tight ends are uh, scratch tickets. Hunter Henry and John o. Smith. Week one, we should at least see who's being used how. Evan Ingram, we're going to see how involved he's going to be. Zach Ertz, we're going to see if he's involved to the level he used to be. Adam Trotman is the biggest one. He was not at all used in the past game last year. 15 catches in 15 games. Some of those games he's playing. He also wasn't targeted in week one of the preseason either. It's concerning. It's (laughs) concerning. Zero targets from either quarterback, and he played with both. Yeah. It's concerning, and that's that's what you got. And now all of a sudden, Juwan Johnson is emerging as a tight end who seems to be pretty athletic. So what? Like, what if we were all drafting Adam Trotman, thinking he's going to be the next Jared Cook, when in reality, Adam Trotman might be the next Josh Hill, and Juwan Johnson's the next Jared Cook, or nobody's the next Jared Cook. So right. these are the things to think about with the scratch ticket. But and again, you got to think about your format, right? So if I'm if I'm drafting a best ball league. I'm not really as interested in the scratch tickets because they could just be nothing. But if I'm in a redraft league where I have waivers, if I draft one of those guys, now I can I take Adam Trotman at the very end of my draft. He does nothing. Guess what? I can drop him and pick somebody else up. I get that answer right away. So it's you got to think about how what your format is, how deep your rosters are, and whether you're going to be willing to hang on to Chuba Hubbard all season long or if he's just going to be a guy that you drop right away. Yeah. So something to think about. Yeah, for sure. And, and like when you're talking about guys like Chuba Hubbard or Alexander Madden, for me, I, I'm not drafting them unless I have McCaffrey or a cook for a handcuff. But if you find yourself drafting those players, they become trade chips, most likely, to the owner 
over McCaffrey or Chuba Hubbard or, or, or Dalvin Cook, rather. Not necessarily if those guys get injured, but if you find yourself closer to the trade deadline and that owner uh, is in contention for a playoff spot, they maybe maybe they want the insurance uh, of a Hubbard, of a Madison on their team. And now those guys become trade value later in the season. So I don't generally find myself drafting guys that have, like you mentioned, no startable value unless there's an injury. I always talk about the difference between a handcuff and a player that has their own value in a backfield, especially. And I'll try to find somebody that has that role. Kenneth Gainwell, for instance, you're seeing a lot of hype out of him in camp. He's getting a lot of pass catching opportunities. Miles Sanders is dropping everything. Boston Scott seems more like the middleman there, a guy that can do a little bit of both. But, you know, I won't find myself drafting a direct handcuff there. I'd rather draft the third down back that I know is at least going to be involved in the offense because he has his own value. Naeem Hines, James White, guys in those and those type of situations that do have that start value. If, if it comes a bye week, if somebody gets hurt, you can start Naeem Hines by himself. You don't have to wait for an injury to Jonathan Taylor for that to happen. But Marlon Mack, you probably need an injury to Jonathan Taylor for him to be valuable. So understanding the types of players that you're looking at to build out your bench, like Coop said, is super important because it goes a long way to trade value, how you're going to end up spending your fab. At some point, you may need to drop one of those guys, right? Because they're they're burning a hole. And like you said, Coop, do you want those guys that you can drop early because you need to know and, and you don't want to get stuck? Well, I have Chuba Hubbard. He's useless to me unless somebody gets hurt. But what if after week one, someone on waiver wires has popped off and you want to go ahead and pick him up. A James Robinson from last year, a Miles Gaskin from last year, and now you're kind of slicking there. It's like, well, do I drop Chuba Hubbard? I drafted him in the in the eighth round or tenth round or whatever his DDP is. But like to those, to me, those guys, those are the moves that you need to make instead of holding on and hoping later in the season that those guys pop off for you. So right, and that's that's why I gravitate towards the same thing you're saying. So the guys that you're talking about there, uh, the first guys you talked about, I call them, and I know you do too, the ha- handcuff plus. Is right. the word there. That's what I was looking for is the handcuff plus the Kenyon Drake, the Kareem Hunt, where if the, they you can start them in your flex and deep leagues if the, and if the starter gets hurt, they get a big bump. Right. The other thing that I do, like you're talking about with the valuable bench spots is sometimes I'll actually plan the in the uncertainty into what I'm doing. So I actually just did a, a league, a live draft recently where I took we got really deep in the draft. I took both Brashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams. And I know that I'm going to drop one of them after week one because I'm not going to have two lines receivers. I might drop both of them. But I took them both because at value, there's the idea that one of them could be the second highest target getter along with TJ Hawkinson is intriguing to me. And let's say they come out week one and Tyrell Williams gets seven targets and Brashard Perriman gets two. Well, now I have that bench spot that I need, the ever valuable bench spot to add that league winner because a lot of times those guys are on waivers. It's like you don't know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. People forget the, the 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 biggest year in terms of that, 2000, I think it was 2014, it was like you could have built a full team off of waivers in the early going and won a league. If you went out and picked up guys like Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, Jeremy Hill, Alfred yeah. Morris, like it was like the craziest year where you could have literally built a full team off waivers if you wanted, just because it's like Mike Evans, uh, Odell started, Odell was hurt, Mike Evans is hurt, uh, Gio Bernard just had a monster year, so Jeremy Hill was nothing. It was like you could have built a full team, so you want to have those roster spots available, right? 
Yeah, and Odell Beckham that year, that one actually hurts me a little bit. I, I co-managed a team in a league. We were uh, really hurting at, at wide receiver depth, and o- OBJ didn't start that year. Like He was injured for the first part of the year, and he came back, and we had the fab, and we and we were going back and forth, and I'm like, this this guy could be a stud. He's going to be you know, a lot of hype around him, and we ended up you know, deciding to go in a different direction. Then, of course, OBJ goes off and just dominates. That's mm-hmm. basically from the moment he entered the league. But yeah, you're right. In last year, in some leagues, early on, you know, Justin Jefferson got a little bit off to a slow start. He ended up hitting the waiver wire. I remember him seeing him because he was a guy that was drafted in like round 14, 15 of drafts. And he got off to a slow one or two weeks. People cut him. And then look what happened. And, and uh, T. Higgins is another guy drafted late. A little bit of a slow start for him. Find himself on waiver wires in some leagues, and you were able to scoop him up. Philip Lindsay, of course, a few years ago was the name that everybody kind of picked up off week one waivers. But this traps for every Philip Lindsay, there was someone spending ninety bucks on trees. So like, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I'm I, I'm still never gonna forgive you for that fantasy league that you weren't even supposed to be in, but my girlfriend couldn't draft, and you stepped in yeah. and drafted for Kate, and you drafted Justin Jefferson. Yeah. So, and I that's a league where you get relegated if you come in the bottom four half of the league. So I actually got relegated to the lower league that in the last year. Now she's in the upper league. We probably so. should have. So we, I say we, she probably should have done a lot better in that league, but there were weeks where she forgot to set her lineup. So there's, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, was, I can't I was, do everything for her, but you know, I did draft a good team. So. It's funny how she said it. she set her lineup the first five weeks, and then once I was facing relegation, all of a sudden no one was reminding her to set it. You know? It's like, hey, that's not I'm not a co-owner like you, John. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's so that's Coop's article there. We got to build a better bench. It's out there on Fantasy Alarm right now. You can check that. It's for free. It's been tweeted out. I'm sure he's got it retweeted. Hit his hit his Twitter timeline. Go find it. Coop, we had week one of the preseason last week. We're already as of recording this. It's a Wednesday, so week two hasn't started. When this is released, week two would have already uh, some games would have already gone. I believe, right? There's a, I think there's a Thursday, Thursday schedule. I guess I should have that up before I'm talking, but I'm saying it anyways. Anyways, week two is coming up. I want to get your thoughts though on what we saw out of week one. A lot of the hype was surrounding the quarterback play uh, there during preseason week one. We saw Trey Lance, Justin Fields, both highlights everywhere. Trevor Lawrence looked okay. Mac Jones for us as Patriots fans, I thought looked good. Now, what are, what are your key takeaways or, or any adjustments to your opinions on some of these players coming out of the week one of preseason? Yeah, I mean, week one is such a tough one. I feel like, to be honest, this week one, we did get a little bit more of a taste than we usually do. I think teams in recent years, they were undervaluing preseason. And then last year when we didn't have it, they now they really kind of recognize the value of it. Now we're seeing a little bit more of, of the mixing in. The plays are always so vanilla. And that's the, um, that's the, the part that's kind of weird. It's also uh, one interesting with the Mac Jones and Cam Newton situation is that they seem to be running a different offense for each quarterback. Did you notice that, that a cam was under center for the vast majority of plays and Mac and Mac Jones was playing shotgun for pretty much every play. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like because they're trying to maybe, well, I was going to say maybe because they're trying to run a little bit more of an option feel with the with Cam, but you think like an option feel would almost be better out of a, maybe out of a shotgun, right? Or uh, some sort of formation where you can fake the handoff, see the field and decide where he's going to go with it. Yeah, I mean, it, it could very well be that that's the route they're going with their, they're going to run more of like a power option type thing. And I, I kind of think that that's a very interesting way to go into the season, right? So with Cam Newton and with any mobile quarterback, your concerns are injuries, right? Yeah. But with this situation, Cam's not worried about getting hurt. He's worried about playing well. 
he wants to he wants the ball as much as possible right and they have a guy waiting in the wings if cam does get hurt so they almost have like a, a license to kill oddly enough with cam newton at quarterback to just say you know what let's be reckless and let's do what you know let's not and never think about oh well, let's ease up on the quarterback or let's you know not run it here with the quarterback because we don't want him to get hurt because it's not like they want him to get hurt but they have they have options here so there's no reason to ever take your foot off the pedal you know what i mean whereas like yeah. if you have joe burrow or dak prescott they, they have the foot is the foot couldn't be farther off the pedal you know what i mean like i don't think those guys are gonna play in the preseason right either one of them no i i wouldn't imagine no i don't i don't think you're gonna see see that end up being the case it, it's funny i'm trying to look for it now i thought i saw a quote from cam talking about how, like how at this point in his career the the hits linger on him a little bit longer and, and maybe he wasn't looking to be as active in the running game as he maybe was in years past and that could just be from a longevity standpoint from his own mind too you know we had what, 12 rushing touchdowns i think it was last season you know, kind of diving in there on those piles and when i saw that quote I, I heard it on i heard it on the radio here obviously you and i are both local around new england and i thought i heard one of the reporters kind of spot it off there which Perked my ears up a little bit because then it got me thinking, well, Damian Harris maybe a little bit more in the red zone or Ramondre Stevenson in the red zone a little bit more. If if Cam all of a sudden is like, hey, if my best chance of you know winning this quarterback job is staying healthy throughout the season, diving headfirst into a defensive pig pile probably isn't the way to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a scary thing. I mean, if you really go back and think about it, Drew Bledsoe should have been the Patriots quarterback for. He was signed a 10-year, $100 million contract. Tom Brady was some kid and some nobody out of Michigan, really, and he should have never played. He he got hurt. You know what I mean? Obviously, this is a different situation, but that injury window is the fastest way for you to leave the field. And we saw it last year with uh, Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, right? Mm-hmm. It was yep, done. Were, it was well, over, you know? Different circumstances because Tyrod was stabbed in the ribcage by a team doctor, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Not, right. Neither neither here nor there. Still out on whether they, whether that was uh, whether that was an inside job, right? So obviously we had the the, the rookie quarterbacks there, Fields and, and Lance. They both like you know the highlights look great. If you if you read a little bit deeper into the, there was still a lot from from what I've gathered to be had from both quarterbacks in terms of like development. We saw the ADR touchdown pass from Lance, but you know there's some other reports. If you watch the whole game, that he missed some receivers, he missed some reads. Same thing with Fields, and then a lot of this is coming up against backup defenses. I think maybe the biggest surprise potentially in terms of draft altering decisions is in Miami where Miles Gaskin was being taken as a fifth-round running back in best ball redraft, and all of a sudden, he's not even playing with Tua, basically. He's playing second-string second snaps with Jacoby Brissett. Malcolm Brown got a, the majority of those plays with Tua. Didn't look good, and he had to get nine carries for seven yards, and Salvin Ahmed also got work there. And then after the fact, Brian Flores says he likes them all. He thinks they, they're all interchangeable. He thinks they can all play all three downs. He's going to use a committee, the vaunted hot hand. Like, if that's the case, so early on in the draft season, you talked about Malcolm Brown being a deep, a late target of yours in drafts. Uh, he is my third highest owned running back and underdog, but for better or for worse, I'm getting him basically as the last pick. But if you're taking Gaskin in round five and you've drafted already, you have to hate that. Yeah, I mean, it. Just seeing that out front, because I mean that's the that's the whole thing about preseason. The one thing that we do get is we get some some sort of depth charts, which last week 
we rapid fired through that. We pulled as much info as we could. It's not always great. Same with the preseason games. It never really dictates anything, but the pecking order that teams use a lot of times is indicative. Who's out there first? Who's getting the superstar treatment, right? Who's getting the bubble wrap? Like Daryl, uh, you want to see Miles Gaskin be treated like Daryl Henderson, where they're saying, this is the starter, and we don't even want him to play because we already like him. For him to come out second, especially after Brian Flores, when they first, they first brought Malcolm Brown over, this is before they even started working him and, and actually got him on the field. So he was just going off what he knew about him. He goes, we're going to use him on third downs, and we'll use him in some short yardage, goal line situations. I thought to myself, I was like, those are the exact high leverage plays where we want our players to be used. You know what I mean? Like, what plays, like, what are the other plays? You know what I mean? I guess first down, but like... Yeah, I mean, you want, obviously there's more volume when you're, if you're getting the, the early work carries, if you're getting everything outside the red zone, there's more opportunity for you. But like you said, you get six points for a score. Jordan Howard was one of the worst running backs in football for the first few weeks last season, but he found the end zone, I think it was, a couple times. So he was giving you seven fantasy points because he was giving you the couple carries for a, a yard and a half and a score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's, I mean, it's obviously concerning. And Miles Gaskin was, like, he was in that group of guys where you thought that, okay, he's probably the starter and he runs and catches. So he's the last he was one of the last bastions of hope in that range where you're like taking like the Mike Davises and the Darrell Hendersons. We talked about how we already moved Darrell Henderson ahead of those guys. But now, I mean, if Mike Davis turns one of those fringe guys, I mean, like what's the difference between Mike Davis and like a Melvin Gordon or like any right. or Kenyon Drake, where with some of these guys, now you're asking yourself if I'm drafting my second running back, which happens sometimes you get to that point and you only have one. Do I want the safety but the low upside of a Kareem Hunt or a Kenyon Drake, who I know is going to catch passes, but I know is not going to get a monster workload. Or do I want to take a stab on, say, you know, hope that Miles Gaskin actually is the starting running back. And this was just, you know, some sort of plan that they had set up in advance or could have been game script where they were like, oh, we want to run this play first. And this is the personnel we use for that play. I mean, that that's the part about starters, quote unquote, that, does bug me a bit because i mean if you look at the ravens nick Boyle, a lot of games nick boyle and patrick ricard were starters and mark andrews wasn't because they knew they were going to run a run play first or certain guys are start starters and the other guys aren't even though that's just a game script thing so it depends on where the it's like that's the whole crazy thing about starters like say you you have the ball second and there's a punt and the punt gets run back to the three-yard line like Danny Amendola used to do. He used to run it all the way back and never score. Like, that's a situation where the starters might be a goal line set, and then now all of a sudden you people look at it and say, oh, that guy didn't start. He only started five games, but, you know, he is the the guy. So it's that's why it's all about usage. And we'll, with that, it turns into a gamble when once they – they don't give us a clear indication. So just that, that, that for sure is something to think about as opposed to some of these, you look at the Cowboys, Zeke didn't play because he's the starter. Tony Pollard was returning kicks. You know what I mean? Like they just told us so that we don't have to worry about that. So I much prefer coaches like that, but coaches that come from the Belichick tree are never going to tell you what they're doing. So. Yep. No, that's uh that is hundred percent true there. Coop, some, some interesting news we've seen obviously come out over the last few days. I guess I, I want to get your take over with the chargers. They, again, another team that talks about using a sort of a committee of backs. Now 
We know Austin Eckler's there to be their lead running back, but we also know that Eckler's never really been a guy that's held up over a full workload. Last year was his first opportunity, got a hamstring. Not really willing to hold that totally against him in terms of not being able to carry a workload, but we know his real skill set is involvement in that passing game. And it doesn't really seem to matter what coach is there. There's some sort of infatuation with Justin Jackson, and they drafted Joshua Kelly last year as well. Again, new coaching there now. But, you know, how does that impact your thinking of Austin Eckler? Do you think this is coach speak? Do you think that this is really how they're going to approach using Eckler in their offense? Yeah, so I think they're truly going to use another running back to obviously supplement that game. That's what the – so Joe Lombardi is going to be calling the plays now. He comes over from the Saints, right, where Alvin Kamara – and this sounds crazy when I say it, but Alvin Kamara has never had 1,000 yards rushing. He's never had 200 carries. So he's used in a specific way, and that's how Lombardi on his side of the coaching does things. And we actually watched Joe Lombardi – he he got a chance to call the plays for the Lions in 2014. He threw the ball to the running backs 150 times. If you count between Joyke Bell, it was like Joyke Bell, Reggie Bush, and Theo Riddick, 150 plus passes for the running back. So Eckler is one of those guys where I'm still willing to draft him at the swing at the end of the first and second round in full, especially in full PPR. Because given the way that offense operates, if he's going to be bringing over the offense from the Saints, which you got to imagine that he is, because we've talked about this before, you bring in guys, you bring in Cliff Kingsbury to run the air raid, right? You bring in Matt Nagy to run the offense he ran in Kansas City. You bring this guy over to run the offense he knows. You, you don't tell him to invent a new offense. So that means a lot of targets for Keenan Allen, like Michael Thomas. It means a lot of targets for the running back. The question is whether they go full like Alvin Kamara is the goal line back. You don't score six touchdowns by not being the goal line back. So that's that's the real question. Like, is he going to be Alvin Kamara or is he going to be Alvin Kamara light? And they they really don't have the line that the Saints have. So it's there is concern there. But I really I don't when when you talk when you think about the points that you get for getting 80, 100, 80, 90, 100 targets. I'm not going to try and play the touchdown guessing game. I just give me those targets, you know. Right. Right. For sure. Speaking of Saints, news coming out of them, some reports out that someone like Latavius Murray might actually be on the roster bubble. This is a Saints team that recently brought in Devonta Freeman. You and our own Howard Bender had a little Twitter back and forth regarding this. You talked about as someone who, if you're investing in Alvin Kamara, you don't want Latavius Murray to be the guy that goes because of the versatility of Devonta Freeman. You mentioned that it was like 2015 or Howard mentioned it was 2015 was like the last time that Freeman was a a versatile running back, which isn't the case. Two years ago when he was with Atlanta, he was a versatile running back. I think he had, was it 60 or so catchers or something like that in in that range last year, of course, didn't play most of the year, had a small stint there with the giants. You know, wasn't overly involved in that offense, but you know, I I think your point kind of holds a little bit of water there. You don't want a guy that has a similar skill set to Alvin Kamara coming in and being the handcuff to him potentially in this offense. You want Kamara to be the guy that's getting that passing down work or at least being the one that's on the field when they're looking to throw the football, not somebody like a Devonta Freeman. Exactly. I don't want any sort of balance. I think that my response to Howard Howard Benner was the the that gif of the guy from now I now I the movie is escaping me. <laughs> but yeah, the vacation movie where they're on the island. He goes, he goes, I don't like change, right? <laughs> like so that's I don't want to see any sort of change. The way it's set up now is perfect, right? Alvin Kamara catches all the passes and he gets all the goal line work. 
and Latavius, Latavius Murray does all the rest of the dirty work and whatever else, the letting him get a drink of water. Like, that's what I want. I don't want a guy, Devonta Freeman, who mentioned that he had 97 targets and 73 catches that one year, which he was like, oh, that was a while ago. But like you said, he had 70 targets and 59 catches in 2019. That was the year before last. I mean, Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley basically didn't play last year. So we're talking about the last time those guys were good. Like, I know he's 29 now, but just the idea that this guy could come in and participate in camp and practice and he would be good enough that they would say, oh, let's cut Latavius Murray and save a little bit of money and we'll use this guy. Like, I don't want anyone that can catch. I want these guys that are backups to have hands like frying pans. You know what I mean? Because – you want a whole bunch of Jordan Howards on that roster. Right? Exactly. We, we don't want any sort of even split or we'll put Alvin in and then we'll put this guy in because he can run the same plays. Like any amount of targets that come away from Alvin Kamara is killer to the value of Alvin Kamara. He needs 100 targets. He needs 80 catches. Like that's what he does. That's why he's valuable. If he doesn't have that, then, you know, you're changing the whole equation. Like my point was that Alfred Morris is apparently Alvin Morris got cut recently, but he like a guy like that, that doesn't catch at all. That's what you want his backup to be. And now people are talking about this other guy, Tony Jones jr. That he had a good run. He had a touchdown and we don't want this to turn into some situation. Like think about the Cowboys. Like I love, like I'm a a big proponent of Zeke. I don't think Tony Pollard is going to take too much away from Zeke, but that's the whole argument against Zeke is that Tony Pollard is there. Like we don't want a Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott situation. We want a, Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray situation. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm in a 100% um, agreement with you there because, like you said, you want to, especially where you have to draft Alvin Kamara, you, you don't want to invest that fourth overall, fifth overall, third overall pick on Alvin Kamara and then lose half the value you think you're potentially lose half the value. And I don't, again, I don't imagine that the Saints would all of a sudden take take away maybe his best skill set, but you know, just having the viability of, of that possibility being there, I agree with you. You know, not not quite um, as excited. Coop, any any other like uh, reactions to news coming out lately? Anything that's jumping out to you that you think maybe people are overreacting to, underreacting to? I put out a tweet today reacting to Antonio Brown going up against the Titans and making a, a simple catch, right? But it was more so like his route running looked fantastic. He made a double move. He he cut in on the corner. We've been touting Antonio Brown all offseason. He's going in like the seventh or eighth round of drafts. I said that he was probably the best receiver in Tampa Bay. Hyperbole? Maybe, maybe not. Like this guy is a couple years removed from being a first round wide receiver. So for me, that's something that I've kind of reacted to because it backs up takes that I've been making all offseason. Anything, any, any like affirmation that you've seen come out for some of your plays? Yeah, I mean, there's... There's some minor things like the Adam Trotman thing with Juwan Johnson. That's a little concerning. One thing I will warn people on, you kind of brought this up a little bit, is that drafting rookie quarterbacks who don't have the starting job as your starting quarterback is a dangerous game. Just make sure you have somebody else because it's not always just about them becoming the starting quarterback. A lot of these reps are being taken with backups, against backups, not in game situation. And it, the whole idea of like backups for starters, sometimes we get this idea that it's like uh, stepped, 
right? Like it's like a tier, like, oh, these guys are this good and this whole next group of guys are the next group of guys and these guys are the next group of guys. It's not like that. These Some of these starters are absolute once-in-a-lifetime, like freak show, sicko athletes. And the difference between the number one guy and the next guy down, it's not even close. And not only are they like crazy athletes, but the way they think is it's you can't even comprehend it like ed reed the way he would would move and and the way he would trick you into throwing the ball somewhere so that he could grab it and run it 107 yards back to the house or troy palomalu jumping over the line because he has seen your plays for the last seven years like those guys are are just on another level and we've seen Peyton manning one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time have a rough time as a rookie adjusting to that we've seen it really like it feels like the the one-off of, of rookie quarterback success now joe burrow obviously last year was was looking pretty good the Bengals were just gonna let him throw at will but like yeah to what you're saying is a lot of the times these quarterbacks they're not great they, they have moments but they're not someone that you can almost trust consistently now i guess maybe the 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 new generation of college player that coming out feels like they're just better or they're already at that level like how many times did we talk about like year three is when you want wide receivers right like you're you draft the rookie wide receiver year one year two like there's an acclimation process there's a speed they're playing against cornerbacks that are as strong as tall as fast as they are and all but then over the last like three years rookie wide receivers are coming into the league and just like instantly becoming starters instantly making this jump having no struggles when it comes to transition periods and maybe this is what we're going to start seeing with quarterbacks slowly. Like it's possible. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but like Barrow and Harper last year looked great. But the thing is, like, they, I mean, to they they were good for fantasy to a certain degree. But I mean, you got to get remember Justin Herbert was six and nine as a as a, as a quarterback. You know what I mean? He got sacked 32 times. A lot of that was the defense too, though. Kyler Kyler Murray was I mean the defense isn't the reason that he got sacked 32 times the or the opposing defense the you look at Kyler Murray like Kyler Murray was great for fantasy football with the rushing and all all those aspects but I mean Kyler Murray if you watch those games he still made bad mistakes he still threw balls in the tight windows got intercepted I saw multiple times in watching him him uh, scramble and then run out of bounds with the ball up to five yards behind the line of scrimmage instead of just throwing away, which these are things that can be coached, but it's still things you got to remember with these rookies that it's not always, it's not always just a matter of starting. And if it is like with some of these guys that are guaranteed to get the job, you can draft them along with another guy. And if they're good to go right away, then you're good. But like, if you draft Trey Lance, he might not start right away. So when you pick him as your first quarterback off the board, just remember that you need to pick somebody else to start for you. So you need to start looking at. I've been pairing Kirk Cousins with like him and Derek Carr have been my QB two in best ball all season long. And truthfully, I think if we're getting into redraft, if I'm going to go a two quarterback route, like those are two guys that I feel are just very safe late round picks that you can get in your drafts right now. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is a great one because they start the season. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's Bengals and then Cardinals back to back. Fantastic. Uh, so I think that's actually, I think it's Bengals. I remember looking at it. It was like Bengals, Cardinals, and then they get the Vikings, and then they get the, I think the Seahawks. So, and then it gets a little Which tougher. It's still fine. I mean, Seattle's got a little bit of an improved defense, but I mean, last year they were terrible. So, 
Yeah, actually, well, I'll just pull it up. It takes a few seconds. It's they got better at the end of the year, I know, because I wrote about them. Right. So, so actually, check it out. It goes Bengals, Cardinals, Seahawks, Browns, Lions. So I mean, through five weeks, if you need him through the first five weeks, I mean, you got at least three of those matchups are looking to be. Uh, I mean, like in terms of good. offensive talent that's surrounding a quarterback. I mean, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, of course. Whatever you think of Irv Smith Jr. this year, if they think he's going to take some sort of step up or just more involvement overall, like there's a path for him there. Like Kirk Cousins' worst enemy tends to be Kirk Cousins at times. Like it's indecisive decision making. But like you mentioned, you know, there's one maybe tough matchup in that group to start the season for them. So Cousins is a guy that I've been really targeting. And then I've texted you a couple of times about Derek Carr, how I feel like the man is just getting a bad rap. The numbers he put up last year were throwing into Nelson Aguilar and and Darren Waller is basically it while completing 70% of his passes. This year, they still have Waller. They added Kenny and Drake. And if you believe that Ruggs, who's supposedly in better shape, he added more weight, he's healthier, and then they can take that next level. Derek Carr going basically undrafted in redraft or last round pick in redraft is another good QB2 target. Yeah, I took Derek Carr at the Scott Fishbowl because it's a you get points for completion percentage. It's positive points for completions, negative points for incompletions, and I mean that's he's always been good with that. He's actually always he's had a pretty good deep, deep ball too. I mean, he just it's kind of interesting with Derek Carr. He's he just seems like he needs it. There's an it factor that he kind of doesn't seem to have. Maybe needs to take more chances, or maybe he just needs better weapons. But, yeah, I'll, um, I'll say that Carr is somebody that you want in your second half, probably, of the season. They open up Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Miami, and then they have a Chicago at Denver on their schedule in the first six. So, uh, it's a little tough. A little tough, but, you know, if you're pairing the quarterback, you don't need to play him right away. <laughs> start him start in week nine against the Giants like or, or against if, Dallas. Like there's the the schedule that they got there in the second half. If you play in the if you if you really like Cam Newton, then uh maybe you you pick Cam and start start Cam when for the early part of the season and then you pivot over to uh a Derek Carr. I mean yeah. Cam Cam's gonna get Cam's gonna get the Dolphins, which is kinda tough, but then it goes Jets, Saints, Bucks, Texans, Cowboys, Jets again. So, I mean, for the first half of the season, at least, I mean, you got some tough matchups versus the Bucks and stuff that he needs to serve, but... We'll see. I mean, uh, we'll see if he's even the starter to, to uh, the start of the year. I mean, yeah. Texans, Texans, Cowboys, Jets sounds like a nice little run. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds that sounds a nice run. This sounds like a good segment maybe we can do next week, Coop. Well, we got episode yeah. 13. Maybe we can, we can put together some nice... Uh, you know, pairings. I like to look at strength of schedule. I know you kind of look at that as well. I try to mix and match certain certain pairings of guys and and plan ahead. So we'll we'll go ahead and, and maybe we'll we'll save the rest of that for next week. Coop, is there any final thoughts? Any words of wisdom? Any any strategy ideas you want to give out to the listeners here before we wrap up this show? Oh yeah, I might as well plug that book that I was talking to you about. This one's helped me. This book has helped me a ton in real life. It helped me a ton with my another job, and it helps me in fantasy football. It's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I think everyone should check this out. I actually read the book and then listened to it after. That's how much I like this. It's entertaining. But basically, it's this guy who's an FBI negotiator, and they invited him to go to this this conference that was all all like a big business negotiation conference. It was all business folks, people from it was at MIT. It was all people from um, all walks of life. Some of them grad students and stuff. And they kept basically 
matching everyone up and he was just destroying everyone in negotiations every time and in the end they were like all right you got to tell us what it was basically he was like well i come from the fbi where you know you you have 20 hostages and i need to get all of them i can't just say kill half and give me the rest so you never split the difference so he's going into every negotiation knowing what he wants willing to give up all these ancillary pieces if he has to just making sure that he gets what he wants and in fantasy football i think it, like when you approach trades figure out what you want and then be make sure that what you can't possibly give up and what you want and then be willing to make concessions all around that offer concessions to things and i think this this mindset it really does help you realize what's important and what's not for fantasy football and i think it's something that this book i would recommend it to anybody so just figured i'd plug that one there yeah. Uh, it's uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Check it out. I'll, I'll certainly be listening to that. My eyes don't allow me to read a book. I'm, I'm too I'm too scatterbrained, <laughs> scatterbrained for that one. But uh, Audible, I can do. I can I can go ahead and turn the book on and, and start turning out fantasy articles or video editing and all that stuff. So that that sounds a good one there. Maybe you can tweet that out for people, Coop. You know, maybe they can get a little, little free promo. Uh, yeah, for people, yeah. free people to go find it but wraps up here we'll get back next week again we're closing and closer to the start of the football season closer to week one of dfs as well the coop does the tight end coach i do the quarterback coach so uh you know we're, we're taking this podcast through the season people so don't think we're just going to drop you off once the draft season is over but for now we will catch you guys later